0: Welcome to a very special mini post game seven episode of Pull Up. That's right, special episode, recording live right now in the Bay Area. Got a nice little view of the city um, as I relax in my hotel and get ready for media at two p.m. I'm going to just talk about the series a little bit, discuss uh, Game Seven, which was an epic Game Seven in Denver. You know, kudos to Denver. Shout out to my guys from the from the Denver Nuggets, Will Barton. Uh, more specifically, being one of my homies. I mean, he had a great series, and uh, it, was, it was fun battling against them. Really looking forward to the next series against the Golden State Warriors, which will start Game 1 on Tuesday in the Oracle Arena. And without further ado, welcome Jordan Stroser to Pull-Up Pod. As always, Jordan, before we get into Game of Thrones, where were you watching Game 7 at?
1: I was home. I was completely locked in. Had the whole family. And uh, I must say, it was, it was an all-time game. It was an all-time performance. 37 points back to back essentially close out buckets. CJ, it is such a pleasure to get on get on the line with you today. You know, I I said you can hear the excitement in my voice. I sound like like a maniac, but um, you know, I said before we started recording, it was, you know, that game it was like a it was like a great bottle of Oregon Pinot. It just kept getting better and better. And really the whole series. Uh you went for 30 in game 6, 37 in game seven, um, take us through your mindset, See, going into last night. Obviously, we had talked some about, you know, you, you approaching it the same. But, you know, what? why were you so successful last night? And um, just give us a sense of your emotions going through such a really an emotional game, a turbulent game and, and playing for your season.
0: Yeah, I think that just my preparation, you know heading into the game. It's been consistent. It's been the same, you know, breaking down film, you know, figuring out areas I can attack and how I can be successful. I think the mindset of, you know, not settling for too many jumpers early uh, was was prevalent in my attack. You know, the way I, you know, tried to get to the basket, try to get to my floaters. I took a couple mid-range shots, but I was very um, persistent with my approach in the way I attack, trying to get trying to get to the lane, trying to get off floaters, um, trying to make the bigs work on every possession, understanding that it's a game seven. And for one, maybe I can get him in foul trouble. But for two, just a a higher percentage shot and just wanted to make sure that I wasn't settling early on because uh, as John Yim, our video coordinator, told me, you know, a lot of guys are going to be tight because it's a game seven. So make sure you attack and kind of establish, you know, your imprint on the game early. And uh, my brother, we talk all the time, we break down the film, and he was just telling me that no no one can stay in front of you, so just make sure you don't bail them out. He's like, don't bail them out, don't make it easy on them. Go get what you want every play. So I tried to shoot as, as little threes as possible. I tried to get to the cup early and, and just stay aggressive. But I think it just really came down to my demeanor and mindset, empty the clip, you know, Leave nothing out there I don't want to have any regrets when I go home when I go home I want to say I did everything in my power I prepared the best way I could I got as much sleep as possible I watched Netflix like I normally do I got stretched I did everything in my power and I left all my bullets out there on on the court and didn't bring anything home
1: <laughs> you certainly did I, that you actually uh you only took three threes which was your fewest in the series and also it's you know you you're obviously someone that will consistently take eight nine ten threes a game. And I I, I like that approach. It was very clear early on that you weren't going to settle. Uh, you had that great split of uh, Jokic. I I posted it, and, and it was the play of the game for me. Even even sweeter than the pull up in some ways because I didn't know how you split that, but that that really that play encompassed uh, embodied your entire game plan of attacking. And it was cool to me to see how Dame. Let you let you work. I mean, we talked in after Game Five of Oklahoma City, where you were like Dame had it working really the, the whole series. Uh, you know, he was putting the stamp on it. Well, this series, you had it working, especially in Games Five and or Game Six and Seven, and and he was clearly saying, you know what, I'm gonna let C do his thing. And he missed, I think, his first eleven or twelve shots last night, and yet he was extremely comfortable letting
0: you attack. Yeah, we talked before the game, and it was just more about putting our stamp on this game and and figuring out a way to win any means necessary. And uh, it's funny, before the game, we talked about a legacy, you know, being able to leave a legacy, being one of the first teams uh, to make it. You know, to the conference finals. We've talked about this for years, and to have a chance, you know, one game on the road is all we could have asked for. And I said it before: if you could, if you would have told us that we had to win one game on the road in a game seven to get to the conference finals, I would have told you, I'll take it. I'll take it uh, seven days a week because I like our mentality, I like our mindset, and I like our approach. And as the game got closer, and even when we were down 17, we felt like it was a very long game and we had a chance to to come back. We just had to get stops. We had to take care of the ball and get stops. We only had four turnovers the entire game. And after the first quarter, we held them to 19 points, 24 points, and 24 points. So we held them under 100 Guys did a great job of defending Aminu when he was in there heartless. Ennis played 40 minutes uh, during a fast. Zach Collins 23 minutes. Myers gave us seven big minutes off the bench. Seth was great. Evan Turner, you know, played his best game of the series. And Rodney before he went out, he gave us 20 strong minutes, and I think. Everybody was able to to do different things. But Dame deferring and and empowering me to, to be aggressive and understanding that I had the hot hand is just the epitome of, of good leadership. You know, showing that, you know, he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And we're we're the first team in, in nineteen years to to get to the conference finals. And it's a special group because we only shot forty percent from the field and we only shot four for four for twenty six from three. So that kind of shows you, you know, how the game was going. So when we when I was watching early, uh, and it was clear that
1: you know, Dame was unable to find a rhythm, you know, some of his step backs into the quarter uh, just wasn't able to get into it. I I kept saying, you know, this is okay because this is just going to mean CJ is going to understand that he's going to have to take, you know, more onus upon himself and he'll be fine with that. And eventually I I just kept saying, eventually Dame's going to make shots, but if CJ is comfortable, which he will be, then the whole team's going to be comfortable. And You know, it's basically like, obviously, you and Dame are the two stars of the team. But as Coach Sotz said afterward, he said, CJ does it one way, Dame does it another. On a night where Dame struggled shooting, CJ came up big. That's being part of a team. And that's to your point, C. Whether it was Ennis, whether whether it was Zach, Hood with a playoff career-high 25 in Game 6, ET last night making huge free throws. You know, um, it's just, it's an incredible statement about your team that is continually finding ways to evolve and pick each other up even when certain guys certain stars like dame in game seven didn't necessarily have their best game
0: yeah this is the epitome of team and next man up mentality always being ready to play you know you look at the season you know the underlying themes. mr allen passes away uh, a few days before the season starts Yusuf Nurkic, our big fella, and you know one of the heart and souls of our team, he goes down with a brutal leg injury just before the playoffs. John Yim gets in a car accident right after we close out the series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we've gone through a lot this season, and it's continued to build us and make us stronger. And getting swept last year, I think that's definitely you know, helped build better character, helped build a better appreciation and understanding of what it takes to win games. And there's a thin line between winning and losing. You're talking about Small possessions here or there, a missed box out, a turnover, not understanding a play call, defensive lapses, uh, not switching at the proper time during a screen, making the extra pass. Those little things are the difference between, you know, a Game 7 winning, a Game 7 victory, or winning a series in four or five games.
1: Did you notice that as you guys started to whittle away at that lead that was 17 pretty early, did you feel like Denver was getting tight? Were they uh, deferring too much? Like, what what were they doing differently? How were you dictating to them what you wanted the game to feel
0: like. Yeah, we talked about it before the game. We said once we force this game seven, the pressure is going to be on them. They're on their home floor. They know the percentages they'll be aware of, the statistics they'll be favored, and it'll mess with you if the game's close. I said anybody is capable of pulling away once they have a lead. It's easy to make shots when you're up seven points, up ten points. It's hard to make shots when each possession is magnified, when you blow a lead, when you go up from up 15 to down two up 15, up 12, to up three, and that possession really matters. That's when you really see what the other team is made of. And we just felt like if we could keep the game close, we could take it from them down the stretch because of our confidence, because of our ability to execute. And I felt like I could try to manipulate the defense in my favor more times than not and get a quality shot. So... For us, it was simple. You know, we're down 17 right now, let's get it down to 10 before the half. We didn't get it down to 10, but we knew that coming out in the third quarter, that would be the biggest quarter of the game. The first five minutes, how we responded. And once we got it to about five or six, we knew we had them. We were like, it's a two possession game right now. All we have to do is guard. If we can get stops, then we can get out and run and we don't have to set up in the half court offense. And it'll make the game easier. And I think as the game progressed, we did that. Um, credit our defense, man. I think that was the biggest thing. They missed some open shots, shots but we made it very difficult on them. They end up going two for nineteen from three. Uh, we had a poor shooting night, but they had an even more poor shooting night, shooting thirty-seven percent from the field and seventy-one from the line. And a, a joker is a problem. He's a monster. My hat goes off to him. He had an incredible series. I heard he took responsibility for the loss, but you're talking about a guy who, who had one of the the best best playoff series and playoff performances I've seen, especially from a guy in his first year, uh, damn near averaged a triple-double. He put up 29-13 in an elimination game, and I know he'll be doubting himself for missing those free throws, but he's a serious problem. Murray, they all have a bright future. Uh, Millsap's great, and Gary Harris did a tremendous, tremendous job as well, as well as uh, my guy, Mason Plumley. Will Barton. goes down the line, but I think they got a great team. They're young. Their future is extremely, extremely bright. So, yeah, I mean, they
1: averaged 111 points a game. Uh, you held them to 96. You mentioned the three-point shooting under 11%. Uh, they missed some shots, but the the effort and how deliberate you guys were defensively, I thought was very key. Um, and, and the fact that you didn't get down once you once you got that, or once you got down big. Like, in other words, mentally, you guys stayed in it. It was very clear that it was just, you know... Gets three or four stops, get a couple of buckets. We're back in this thing. I wonder how much Game Five um, mattered for you in that situation, knowing that you you couldn't go down twenty-five and that you were able to withstand their seventeen-point lead. Like, what did Game Five do for you?
0: Yeah, I think each game is different, but you learn from, you know, what happens throughout the game. You get a better understanding of your play calling, you know, in certain situations. And you kind of just take from those situations. All right, we got down by 20. We got down by 25. It was extremely hard to come back. But how did we come back? How did we cut it to 15? How did we cut it to 18? And... You lean on those experiences to where you figure out, okay, we're not going to there's no 20 point shots. There's no 17 point shots. Let's just work the ball around. Let's get easy shots. Let's try to get to the basket, score with the clock stop. And I think in the second quarter, we got some more free throws. Third quarter, we were able to get to the free throw line a little bit more. But the biggest thing for us was not allowing easy opportunities for them at the offensive end. Let's not allow them to get easy runouts. Let's not allow them to get easy drop-off dunks. Um, Let's make them work for it. And if we, in a bad way, you take the foul, make them earn it at the free throw line. I think our mindset was, hey, one possession at a time, chip away, and let's make it a game. Because 48 minutes is an extremely long time. You can be up 10 and down 10 in a hurry. And we understood that as long as we chipped away at it, we'd give ourselves a chance. I love how you, you go for 37
1: on 17 to 29. We talk about the two closeout buckets. But you you were very critical of one play where you pump fake. I think it was you pump fake somebody in the air. He didn't jump in. You didn't jump into him and draw the foul. Right, you Craig. said it cost us two. I, I pump fake on I, Craig. Uh, yeah, on Craig. Yes. Down the stretch. No, it was just really funny to me that out of all the
0: plays
1: that could stand out to you, you were thinking...
0: I should have had two on that at least. Yeah, it was a a crucial possession for our team, and I made it difficult on myself. And you know, in the playoffs, you have to make the game as easy as possible. Um, It's already tough enough to score as it is. There's going to be contested jumpers. There's going to be uh, double teams, traps, things of that nature. So when you get an opportunity to potentially get two uncontested 15-footers at the free throw line, you have to take them. And I pump faked. I watched him fly. I thought about jumping into him, but I also knew I was going to be able to get a uh, a jumper off so I let him go and as soon as he landed I shot it missed it in and out and during the timeout DV pulled me to the side and he said bro you gotta think man how how hard it is to score in this game take advantage of every opportunity you have two free free throws we can put the game away right there and at, that, at that point you know we go from up four or up three to right. up five or up right. six and instead it's a you know, two to four point swing because now they can come down and score, which they did. So just had to make the game simpler. And and as you progress and as you go through games, it's happened so fast, but you have to realize that a lot of times you're in control because at the offensive end, you're manipulating the defense. And once you manipulate them in your favor, you have to take advantage. And uh, I'll make sure that I take advantage in the near future when that happens again.
1: What's the conversation, see when at the end of the game, you tell Terry and the team, you say, just flatten out, get us a bucket. Is that... Is that Terry Gump coming to you first? Do you just immediately say that? How does that happen?
0: Take us through it. Well, usually at the end of games, a uh, coach will draw up a play and there's two options. And it's usually option for myself or option for Dame. And then it's just based on, you know, who has the hot hand, who's going or who locally says, like, give me the ball. And then you just decide if you want to mid pick and roll, if you want to run some action, or if you want to flatten. I looked at the board and I looked at the spacing and the timing and everything. And I was just like, you know what? I'll take it and just flatten out. And and D's really good about like if you have the hot hand and it's free throws at the end of the game or it's a play that's drawn up, he'll be like, he's got the hot hand, or I'll tell him, like, I'll be like, you go take it. Like I did in the um Oklahoma City series. And I was like, You want the ball, right? He was like, Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Cause it's it's usually an option where one of us can both get one of us has the opportunity to get the ball. So once I told Coach to flatten it out, he was no hesitation. He's like, all right, CJ's going to pop back, get the ball, flatten it out, and get us a bucket. And, um, you know, down the stretch, <laughs> I sized up Craig, and I got to one of my sweet spots where I think historically I shoot about 56%, 57%. And in that game, probably was more on the 65 to 70% range. And uh, just live with the result. Trust the, trust the instincts. You know, trust the preparation. And the biggest thing in those moments is just not being afraid to fail. I think that's the that's the thing that that makes you most successful. You f- you failed over and over again, so in those moments, it's easy. Uh, if you miss it, you know you can live with the result. And you know I think we were up two points, one or two points at the time anyway. So it was the easy decision for me to just pull up.
1: Shout out to pull up.
0: Shout out to pull up.
1: <laughs> I love I love how you said on Twitter. You said
0: great defense, my ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean. No offense that Troy Craig's a, a no, good defender but I, I didn't like the I didn't like the comment from the from the guy because I got to my spot I created space that's not great defense. Um I think some people might have took it the wrong way but I don't really care honestly. I don't think it was great defense. I feel like I got what I wanted in that situation. Um and I voiced I voiced my opinion. <laughs> no,
1: and that's fair. What I what I was saying in your defense and well, if I thought it was great defense I would have said it too. But what I was saying was if you missed that shot, it would have been because you—it would have been because you missed it. Like you had a very clean right. look. You were sixteen, what at sixteen, seventeen feet, going left, step back. I mean, like you said, you're in the fifties. If you missed it, it's because you missed it. You really got exactly what you wanted, regardless.
0: Right, and I think he did a great job defensively. He's long. He's athletic. I think they had a tremendous game plan um, throughout the series. But in, in this particular case, I think on this season, I shot 53% on jumpers and, and 56% on mid-range jumpers going to my left. So it's just a comfort shot and a thing of, you know, good defense or okay defense, better offense in this case, which happens. It's a game of makes and misses.
1: Well, last thing, what what really sticks out to me too is, um, it's not really like a big conversation with, with you and Dame in these moments, right? It's like, it's very subtle stuff like in, you know okay you go or like some some kind of body language on the court where you you guys have your own hidden language you know like it, it, it's not like big conversations right it's very it's subtle
0: yeah it's quick I mean sometimes it's just eye contact we will line up and I'll just read his body language or see you know which way he's facing and I kind of just go from there and sometimes we just voice it. Like if I see the helps on the right side, I'll tell, I'll be yelling, go left, go left, go left because there's more help on the right side or vice versa just to give him a better understanding because his perspective is, you know, looking at the court from his angle. I have a different type of angle to where I can maybe be helpful or beneficial uh, to where he should attack or where he, sh- he should go to the open side of the court.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you, you you certainly got your wish playing in prime time now. You got the two-time defending champs <laughs> <laughs> what how how do you shift from Denver, Denver, Denver seven games to a completely new animal, an absolute monster in the
0: Warriors? Yes, yeah, completely different series, completely different opponent. Obviously these are the defending champs and they're the defending champs for a reason. They run a different type of offense. Obviously, we go from having to guard the Joker to having to guard Steph and Clay and KD whenever he gets back. Uh, you go from, you know, Paul Millsap being the main helper to Draymond Green being the main helper. You go from being guarded by Tory Craig and Gary Harris to Clay, Iguodala, and whoever else they may throw at you. So it's a different, different animal and a different beast, obviously. But uh, it's, a, it's another challenge that you look forward to having. Obviously, both teams don't have a lot of preparation. They found out we were playing them last night after our game, and we we knew that if we won, we were going to be playing them. So I'm sure from a preparation standpoint, our video coordinators and, and staff had already been in position to kind of capture clips. But in the playoffs, it just comes down to X's and O's and execution more so than anything else. The Warriors aren't going to run a lot of plays. They're going to run a lot of misdirection out of timeouts and late clock situations, but most of it's going to be mid-pick and roll. It's going to be pin downs and flares and things of that nature for Clay and Steph and a lot of transition. So you have to guard the three-point line, get back in transition, and make it as difficult as possible on them. How is that different than from Denver,
1: a team that obviously shoots a lot of threes? Um, At the same time, they have Jokic who can initiate the offense, whereas Golden State doesn't I mean, Bogut will do some of that stuff, but they don't have a big man like that. So what what are some of the differences in
0: guarding? Uh, less pin down. I mean, less handoffs. The Denver Nuggets are big on handoffs, and the Warriors are, are more so big on pitches, away screens, mid-pick and rolls, and Draymond's the guy in the middle who kind of makes a lot of the decisions. And the, the similarities are that Draymond initiates the offense a lot of times. Steph plays the point guard position, but he's also off ball, constantly passing it and moving and kind of relocating and figuring out other ways to to be involved in the offense off the ball. So those guys are constantly screening and they have that that veteran presence and leadership, understanding of sacrifice. So they give up good shots for great shots. And, and that's the reason why they're successful. You know, they're all unselfish. They've all, you know, given, given themselves up for the betterment of the team. And it's paid dividends. And you've seen the execution down the stretch of games. You know, if it's a close game, chances are, they're battle tested. They know what they want to run and they just they just live or die with makes and misses. You know, like like the goals, the golden rock uh, the golden Rockets. The Golden State Warrior Rockets series in a game where the Rockets won one game four. KD had a look from three and Steph had a look from three. And they just end up missing yep. make or miss league. They make those shots, the game goes in overtime. And we're potentially looking at a Warriors win
1: in five. And if that's the case, then KD not being out for potentially two games
0: at least. Exactly, it's crazy you know, the thin you know, the thin line it, it of, is crazy. Super thin line of wins and losses.
1: Yeah um, I mean, I, I I think there's no question that that the KD KD being out impacts the series in a massive way. Uh, just knowing him, he is going to do everything possible to get back uh, I, I talked to him a little bit um, he is completely locked in to trying to get back into the series at the same time um, let's say he misses two games, like the report, that means you get two games in, in Golden State, sans KD, and then you potentially come home and have KD back in the lineup. Do, do, is there a massive game plan shift when he's in there or do you just, because it's the Warriors and they have so many weapons,
0: um, there's not that big of a shift? It's definitely a shift. You're talking about arguably the best player in the NBA right now, um, in terms of his versatility, offensively, defensively, what he does, his impact on the game. The Warriors players would tell you he makes the game easier for them. They have to be more focused, they have to be more locked in because that's a seven footer who can go get you a bucket anywhere on the court whenever he feels like it. And they don't have that luxury without him. With him, they have the luxury of having some of the greatest shooters ever play, some of the greatest IQ basketball players ever play, super role player in Igudala, who's capable of knocking down five threes in an elimination game. And he's capable of guarding your best player for 40 minutes. And I think that's, that's something that's hard to prepare for, but, um, As the saying goes, you adjust game by game. So I'm sure game one and game two will be completely different. And then when we go home for game three and four, that'll be completely different as well, whether KD plays or not. The approach will be different. There'll be some tweaks in the game plan, some tweaks in how we go about executing certain coverages. And I'm sure they'll make some adjustments as well. But um, it's hard to kind of prepare for KD because of his versatility and ability to to dominate the game on both ends of the court. Because he's so good. He impacts the game every way. And he makes the game... Easier for them, that's for sure. But they're still—I mean, you've seen what they did to the Rockets without him in yeah. in Houston. They're still a very good team with championship pedigree. Like they're not going to miss a beat. They'll be a different team, but they're still very capable of doing the things they did with him.
1: Yeah. Also, he protects the rim. I mean, we people forget about
0: like he is, and he he can
1: switch anything. So he's defensively. There's a lot of problems that he can he can pose as well on, on that. On that note, with with Clay guarding you, obviously we're talking about, you know, one of the really, really great two way players that has um, has a great track record for for guarding big time scorers. CJ, um, what's the difference from him and Gary? Obviously Clay's bigger, but. Gary was very good defensively and you certainly got what you wanted in that series. So what are some of the differences?
0: Uh Um, I think they're both extremely good defenders. Obviously, Clay's been in the league a little bit longer. Um, I think he's a smart defender. He has good length. Uh, He shuffles well laterally. He's not going to really gamble and he has good hands on the way up um, in terms of trying to get his hand on the ball, get strips and and things of that nature. But um, I'll have to break down the film. I think the biggest thing for me is just being aggressive. You know, Figure out my angles and, and plans of attack and uh, go out there and 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 you know put the gas, put the pedal to the metal, make the best offense. The best defense is offense, and the best offense is defense. So make sure I'm I'm attacking and making them work because those are offensive-minded players as well. Even though he's a two-way player. His, his legs are everything. He has to be able to get into his shot. He has to be able to move off screen. So the more he has to work defensively, uh, the harder it will be for him to be productive on the offensive end.
1: I looked this up, and I, it shouldn't surprise me, but it kind – I guess it didn't surprise me. It just it speaks to your game in the mid-range. Uh, of, the, of the players who attempted more than 150 mid-range pull-ups this season, again, shout-out to pull-up, you ranked third in effective field goal percentage behind Kevin Durant, and JJ Redick. And your 52%, that is over 14 percentage points better than the average shooter. So, you know, we talk about the three, you only took three in in game 7, but the mid-range for you, see, continues to be uh, you know, your 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 go-to weapon, your ability to get to your spots um does does your does your outlook going into Golden State change at all the the quality of looks that you'll get the type of looks that you'll get. Do you still anticipate? Let me get to my
0: mid-range spots and let that set everything up. I think you just read the game. I mean, you figure out what spots you can get to on the court. Defenses change, you know, quarter to quarter, possession to possession. So uh, you just attack and you take what they give you. And then as the the series progresses, you take what you want. And I think as the series progresses, I'll you know kind of figure out you know what what I can be successful at and. You know, at times you need to shoot threes and at times you need to get to the cup. So you just kind of find your balance. And it's also dependent upon the game flow. Obviously, the Warriors shoot a lot of threes. So that means there's going to be a lot of long rebounds, which means that could lead to a lot of transition opportunities. So you just have to read the floor balance, attack, and find the right uh, matchups in order to, you know, try to take advantage of of certain things they may do from a a pick and roll standpoint, from an off-ball standpoint, and from an isolation standpoint.
1: So you haven't watched film yet really on, on the Warriors. You will later today. Today? yeah, hey, I watched
0: today. Uh, I haven't, I didn't watch last night, man. I had to catch up on Game of Thrones and, and watch Billions. Uh, oh, but, there it is. <laughs> but I mean, think about how they guarded me in regular season is is going to be completely different than some of the things they may do in the playoffs. So sometimes it's, it's, anal- it's paralysis by analysis. You can, you can overanalyze things too much. At the end of the day, it's a basketball game. It's. Five players going against five players, and then you're going to make subs and, and coaching adjustments. I just need to go play basketball. But uh, for me, it's the biggest thing is just adjusting game by game. I'll watch some film and see how they guarded some things. But I'm sure both teams will do things a little bit different now that it's a seven game series, and you only have to focus on one one opponent. Okay, I want to jump into Game of Thrones for sure. But uh, what was your
1: <laughs> what was your take on Kawhi's shot? That was one of the greatest game winners. I think I've ever seen, considering the circumstances.
0: Kawhi's shot was super dope, super dope. We were on the plane, so I wasn't able to see it live. I was able to, you know, follow on Twitter and see the video as we watched like the box score continue to change on the GameCast and NBA app. But that was unbelievable. That was like a karma shot. I think that when you do things the right way and you work hard, uh, those type of things kind of go in your favor. The fact that he's such a skilled player and is having an amazing career, and amazing postseason, you know, adds to his legacy and his legend. But the fact that it bounced, you know, front rim, back rim, side rim, in, like, just historically amazing play. The first, I think it's the first buzzer-beating game winner in a Game 7 in the history of the NBA, which is incredible. And he sat there straight face at the podium and they asked him when the last time he yelled like that and he said in the NBA Finals I thought that was awesome.
1: That was. Um, the touch on that shot was crazy. Um, he, he he really is spectacular. What what did you make of uh, Joel afterward obviously crying and I didn't I mean I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I, I think people that give guys shit for, for crying is are the real clowns. He probably generated some of the um, he, I think his emotions and the way he handles, handles himself impressors is probably, you know, that, that created some of the drama that people felt toward it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people made fun of him and, you know, basically laughed at him because of his approach to the game. I think he's a great player. He's very dominant, but he's he's very boastful at times, and he's very proud of himself and can showboat at times. So I think people's impression was, when you can dish out the airplanes and laugh about elbowing people in the face and do things of that nature, um, you have to be prepared and willing to accept losing at times. And um, I don't think there's anything wrong with crying. You know, you, you have a right to cry and show emotion after a tough playoff series or after a tough loss. But at the end of the day, there's one winner and there's one loser. Everyone can't win. And, and part of being a great player is being able to handle and accept losing, being able to uh, overcome you know obstacles and learn from it. And I think this will drive him throughout the summer. This will put him in a position to, you know, understand what it takes to win games, understand how to go about winning games. And, and also from a celebra- celebratory standpoint, I think he'll mature a lot this summer, you know, understanding that when he does continue to dominate again, which I'm sure he will, I think he'll handle his success a little bit differently than he has in the past based on how he felt once he lost. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he
1: is a great player. He's very young, uh, very immature. And you've seen it in press conferences. You've seen it on Twitter. This will be a learning lesson for him. And uh, obviously, he cares, which is good. But uh, you, like you said, if if you're dishing it out, you certainly have to be able to take it. Um, this is a professional transition here. Cersei did not be – well, she was unable to take it. She was unable to take it. Um, she She disappointed me, CJ, I must say. Also, the episode disappointed me because it was so dark and Danny went so out of control – she became a murderous maniac on a dragon. I, I didn't like the, all these Spoiler kids dying.
0: alert for those who didn't watch. Yeah.
1: And so it's too late. It's too late. I didn't I didn't like everybody all these kids dying. I thought Danny really showed her true colors. And uh I didn't I wasn't satisfied just for Circe to die like that the way she did. I, I just could give me something else. Uh You know, I just didn't love the episode as a whole. It was a little too dark for me
0: and uh, disappointing death for Cersei. I definitely think the episode could have been better. I think the Billions episode actually may have been better than that one. But I think the biggest disappointment in all of this is that Arya worked so hard to kill Cersei and, and didn't get the opportunity to. I think the Hound and the brother, their fight scene was pretty dope. And it's sad how they both went out, you know, essentially, you know... Died, the hound killing his brother in that fashion while committing suicide, basically off the building and into the fire from the dragon. <laughs> and I think the, that the cliffhanger or the thing we have to really worry about now is how angry Jon Snow was that Danny refused to allow them to surrender. She refused to allow them to surrender, rubbed it in to the point where Snow was literally killing his own men to stop them from from raping him and mm-hmm. just essentially yeah. destroying the village. He start, he began killing his own men. So moral of the story is that not only is Snow mad at Danny, but he's going to be mad at Grey Worm, which in turn means Grey Worm, who's a hired assassin, is going to be mad at Snow now. And you have Arya, who's pissed because although she despised the hound, she loved him secretly. So she's going to want to get revenge for the hound, and for that city because she was so sad to see all those people innocent people uh being burned alive. Oh, uh, it was it was brutal. I mean, I don't want to get into the specifics because I actually got a little
1: emotional and my wife said last night as we were watching she said Grey Worm and uh Worm and Daenerys are fighting out of anger whereas Jon is, you know, there's still empathy there and he didn't want to fight anymore. They surrendered, they dropped their swords, you know, he was done. And yet Danny just Well, she went crazy.
0: Yeah, they threw their swords down and they still slaughtered them, which is so low. (laughs) Savage, super savagery.
1: So low. I mean, I I, I did think, uh, I did think Jamie, you know, he he went out kind of in 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 He went out in style, in the sense of yes, he died the same way Cersei died, but at least he killed that maniac, uh, Theon, What's his name? (laughs) You know, the guy that was. the Cersei's new guy. Theon. Oh. The, what's his name? Uh, is it Theon? They, mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the maniac. Uh, he's another the guy. The, you know, guy, the, the guy that
0: ch- almost killed... Jamie. Jamie. Yeah, yeah, at the end. Yeah. I forget his name. Yeah, I like
1: that Jamie killed him. And then I like that Jamie, you know, it, he, he showed loyalty. The guy's always loyal to her. I don't really understand or want to try to understand that relationship, but... Jamie at least, is like a loyal dude. Cersei is just the worst. Finally, she's dead. Wasn't the best dead, death, but it was at least...
0: A yeah, death. we have a lot to see in this last episode. Not sure where it's going to go. I'm not sure it can actually live up to the hype of the previous seven seasons, but uh, at least we were able to, to witness seven great seasons of Game of Thrones.
1: Best show of all time? Or what not the doing?
0: best show of all time, but definitely up there. It was definitely really good, and... Euron, is that his name? You're Euron. On. Yeah, Euron on. was his name. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate that. I think this is, a, this is definitely a really good show, but I'm really looking forward to Billion's new season starting up. Billions got renewed for a new season. I'm really looking forward to power as well. So for the Game of Thrones fans out there, we'll have a, a great discussion of the, the season finale um, in the coming weeks. Really looking forward to game one against the Warriors. And I have to ask you, who's your pick? Bucks going to the finals or the Raptors?
1: Uh well I had I think I had bucks and five over Boston, so I got Bucks in six over Toronto. And you should know that I picked Blazers in seven over North. My man.
0: That's what I like to hear, man. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> My man. So There you go. And it's not just because of the pod. I you know,
1: I, the the KD injury is enormous and you guys are playing with house money and I'm going with with the Pacific Northwest squad because uh, Bucks-Blazers, that would be quite a fun series. However, I should note that if it is Raptors-Blazers, Ennis in Toronto wouldn't be able to play, and there's potentially uh, some drama there. I hope that doesn't come to that.
0: Yeah, we shall see soon, man. We shall see soon. But I got to get moving. I got to go do media in a second now. So Uh, it's always a pleasure to record Pause with you as I overlook the beautiful city of San Francisco with the bay on the other side. That's it for the special episode of Pull Up. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. Also, be sure to check back later in the week for a brand new episode of The Pod if we have time to record it. And don't forget to (laughs) pull up. Pull up!